Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake Districts. I'm here today under leaden skies, cool breeze. I think we're about seven degrees at the moment and I'm below one of Lakeland's great iconic fells. I'm below Blencathra at the car park by the Blencathra Centre with author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Hello, Dave. It's great to be back. We've had a bit of a pause since we last were out, but uh, we're back in the groove and in a wonderful landscape setting. Let's note the changing colours, bracken, all gold. Particularly behind us, we've got that little patch of trees that people will be familiar with above the Blencathra Centre. And it's just looking fabulously autumnal, isn't it? And there's definitely a bit of a bite in the air. Yeah, I haven't got my gloves with me today, but I see everybody else is wearing gloves. Well, let's start off with a bit of a question mark. You've hinted at our guests. We have three of them. Uh, They're very well prepared and... These kind of people often are. We're out today, Mark, with three fell runners. Wow. You've not done any fell running in your time? Uh, well, I've run over a lot of fells, but at walking pace. You've evaded the question there. <laughs> uh, no, is the answer. I was never built to run, but I'm grateful that I've had the fells to walk over. There we go. Well, what we're doing today, Mark, we're exploring uh, a new book just out. It's come out from my publishing house, inspired by Lakeland. And it's a book called Why We Run. I saw some beautiful photos about, oh goodness, 18 months ago that were being taken by a runner who lives up here, Danielle Ledbury, taking these gorgeous photos of runners in the landscapes of Cumbria. And she was having these very honest conversations with people about why they ran. What's the reason? What gets you out onto the fells in all weathers, sometimes doing extraordinary distances? Not just fell runners, but ultra runners too. So these are people who run for 50, 100 miles at a time. Extraordinary athletes. And she's doing this project talking to not only some of the greats, Joss Naylor's in the book, Steve Birkinshaw, we've spoken to both of those runners on Country Stride, but also ordinary people, right, who perhaps are just starting out running and found all these amazing stories. There's healing in there, there's addiction, there's people recovering from trauma. I thought it was a fascinating book and it's just come out and we're here today with three of the runners including Danielle herself, the uh, author and photographer and we're going to take a a great wander Mark and this is actually, this is in our Threlkeld walking companion this walk, tell us where we're going to walk today. Venture up the Glendra Valley which is one of those marvellous great ravines between Lonscale Fell and the great escarpment of Lonscale Pike on uh, Skidder and Lee's fell on Blencathra, a doorway into the back of Skidder, but we're not going all the way up the back of Skidder, up towards Skidder House. Of course, we're going to cut back on the Cumbria Way and uh, venture up onto Latrig, and then we'll cut back through the woods by Doan Folds back up to the Blencathra Centre. It's a great walk, this one. One of my absolute local favourites here. I just love the mix here, particularly that view that you get over the Vale of Keswick from that terrace route, I suppose, well, it's the Cumbria Way, as you rightly say. Uh, I can see the three runners there. They're well ahead of us already, as you would expect. <laughs> Nimble folk, unlike us, <laughs> But I'll be hanging in there, don't you worry. OK, well, let's go and meet them and begin today's Country Stride. Great, we've come into the breeze. Now we've come away from the larch trees uh, at the beginnings of this track that leads up into the Glendra Terra. I've got a marvellous view to the south, to the Naddle Valley, which is your home valley, Dave, Twit Tarn, Bleabury Fell. And the lighting is dancing across that scene through to Castle Head, back by Derwent Water and the Newlands Fells. Nearer to, you can see Latrig. And uh, this is a very known scene to many fell walkers with me, are three people who love this setting and the adventure that it represents. First of all, we've got Danielle Ledbury. 
Could you tell me a little bit about yourself, Danielle? Hi, I'm Danielle Ledbury. I come from, originally from the southwest, um, from Wiltshire, and then I've moved up to the Lake District maybe four years ago, drawn up to the hills and the landscape. Being out in the hills with my camera motivates me quite a lot. <laughs> um, what do I do? I do a collection of different jobs, really. I work as a photographer, as a teacher, and um, I also work for an outdoor charity. Right. Okay, we've got Chloe, Chloe Thwaites. A little bit about yourself, Chloe. Yeah, thanks. So I grew up in the Lake District, but um, disappeared off to the big city of Brighton as soon as I could. And then was lured back uh, 10 years later, just to the hills and, uh, and to training. So I'm now a rock climbing instructor, a wild camping guide, and I'm also a youth worker. I think you might find that everyone in the lakes has an eclectic range of jobs. Absolutely. <laughs> it's an environment full of adventure <laughs> and opportunity. And also with us, we have Jacob Tonkin. And where are you from, Jacob? I am a born and bred Keswickian, me, oh, one of the few that. left, but I now live just at Thilmere. You can almost see my house from here, just wow. where the sun's shining, the side of high rig. Right. Born and bred Keswickian, I moved out there to Thilmere about three years ago, and the chap whose house I moved into is mates of mine and granddad. And when I said we were moving into Des Oliver's house, oh. my granddad goes, I didn't know Des Oliver had died. And I said, <laughs> and I said no, no, he hasn't, he's moved to Keswick. And my granddad said, aye, that's the same thing. <laughs> So, for work, I, I actually only have one job, much to go against what these two just said. Um, so I've got my own physio business in Keswick. Sort me out later so, then. Yeah. OK, now, so, oh, Des Oliver, of course, is interesting, because I, I remember going to his 90th birthday party in the Legbethwaite Village Hall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was crowded out by wonderful people. And I remember going up on Remembrance Sunday up at Great Gable with Des. I think the last time he ever went up, that was before COVID, of course, a very determined mountain man. And I remember he was, uh, I think, one of the first National Park wardens yeah. after... Um, John Wyatt. Mm. Yeah, well, when we moved in the house, on the uh, the kitchen table there was a big map and he'd hand-drawn a lot of routes to run from the house on there, which is pretty cool. If you look at my Strava, a lot of the routes are classic Des Oliver fell running ah. routes. Direct lines from the house straight up into Watson's Dodd, across where he'd gone like the Bob Graham and, and descents down. Like, I knew the area well before we moved in, but then knowing the area from someone who's that legendary status and Quite. Des was the first one to organise the Skidder Fell Race which oh. is one of the classic fell races with one of the longest standing records for Kenny Stewart which is like an hour and one minute from the park to the top of Skidder and back again which is just insanely quick. Danielle, this is a great walk. I love it. We broiled it inside the Threlkel walking command we created some years ago. Why did you particularly choose it? Each run I interviewed, I would talk to them about why they love running, but I'd also talk to them about their favourite runs and where they like to run and where running meant something to them in the lakes. And... Um this route got picked up quite a few times by different people and um, it's also one of my go-tos <laughs> like I absolutely love it it's just beautiful because you can park up it starts to feel quite wild quite quickly as you head out towards Skidder and then you turn back along the terrace and then the views just open up in front of you and then you can loop back around Latrig it packs so much in to a relatively short for um, running in the fells distance it's just spectacular <laughs> you definitely get breathing space and today there's plenty of breath in the breeze. <laughs> oh well, we'll plod on and make some progress. It's a wonderful track this one, running up the Glendroterra Valley. It makes a little turn re-entrance and there is a beautiful waterfall. This is a, a modest one, yes, but what a view it has. Looks straight out at Lonscale Pike uh, and you can look up towards Great Carver. Danielle, let's turn to you first of all. The genesis for your book what was uh, the motivation in your heart that brought this book into focus? It was a lockdown project, really. I was furloughed, um, I had quite a lot of time on my hands, and I also, just like a lot of other people in that period of time, realised how important running and physical exercise and being outside was for both your mental health and connection to people and community. I photographed landscapes before, but I wanted to do a project that was based on people. So I thought, I love running, I can see an importance there. And I kind of pictured photographing people and interviewing them about why they ran and then presenting the words with their portraits. So that's how it started. So I, 
asked a couple of friends if I could test out the idea on them and we went out for a run. We were up on Galbarrow Fell and photographed them and what they said was just really, really powerful. From there, I put a little post out on Instagram and um, then George Foster, who's a really fantastic runner local to Keswick, uh, he messaged saying that actually he'd be really up for giving this a go. Uh, at this point, photographing him, I started to photograph him in the landscape and that then started to really develop and that became quite an important part of photographing the runners running in the landscape that was important to them. You have, uh, I believe, 28 runners in the book, some quite well known to the wider world, some a little bit more obscure, but each one of them had a personality which you sought to bring out. That was one thing that I was really set on that was really, really important to me in the project was that I was interviewing runners from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different types of runners, from the complete beginner and somebody that might have had a really interesting story that was important to tell and give that platform to that voice alongside the professionals and um, the running legends of this world. So I wanted to have the full range. So you can get from all that a perspective on why people ran. Everybody I interviewed had a completely different story to tell. There was something very personal in each story and I hope that we have shown that in the book. But there was a few different things that really came out. A connection to community and other people. The mental health aspect. Running became almost a, like a therapy, a tool of therapy being out in the fields and how that allowed people to heal in very difficult life processes and challenges in life that um, came out quite a lot as well the power of running as a tool for healing also uh, physical health and a connection to the landscape challenge was also something that came up quite a lot that personal challenge being able to really challenge yourself and in an environment such as the lakes and the fells and the weather that you get here i'm sure many of our listeners will have experienced fell running or fell runners uh, but it's not just fell running that this book actually covers. You've got the fell runners, the trail runners, and the mega ultra runners. Can you define what the distinguishing qualities of each style is? Yes, fell running was kind of uh, born in the lakes and it has a real sense of being uncommercial. Um, that's a big part of their ethos, um, keeping everything really low-key and uncommercialised. It might be like a few pounds to enter and you might get a pie and a cake at the end. It's more about that community aspect. You also have checkpoints maybe at the top of a hill and it's up to you about how you get to that checkpoint. You'll find yourself going off trails and off routes and you'll be picking your own routes. So navigation and being able to navigate is also a big part of that. It's more of like an onus on yourself and choosing your route to those points. You might get one where you're literally a very short fell race, but you're going right to the top of Blencathra and straight back down again. Or much, much longer, like some of the Wasdale race is absolutely stunning and you'll hit quite a few tops. Then trail racing, it might be like a more of a waymarked route. So you'll probably be sticking more onto the trails and you'll be following a waymarked route so you won't have that option to choose your own path. Trail racing can range again from like 5k's and then I suppose it turns into an ultra race on anything that's over a marathon distance. I like to think of an ultra is basically just an all-day picnic <laughs> because food and nutrition is the most important thing when you're doing an ultra. It's about maintaining yourself to get to the end. <laughs> Jacob, now you were born in Keswick, fells are everywhere, you just wanted to be on them didn't you? Is that true? Well, not really when I was a kid, no. My family's a very outdoorsy-based family, and it was with me very much a case of you don't know what you've got till you've lost it kind of thing. So my dad would take us out for a walk every weekend, and I didn't really want to go with him up the fell. I'd be, rather be in the park playing footy with my mates or going out sledging. Yeah, I, I swapped, obviously, living in the Lake District to going to university, and you open your curtains not looking out at Latrig or Skidder, and you're looking at concrete multi-storey buildings and that's when I realised oh actually I think I maybe haven't made the most of this when I was a kid but now I do like to think that I very much make the most of it and and I love being outside. Well your story within the book references your grandparents a great deal what was their influence? My nana and granddad Pete and Uni Parkins are my heroes in life and we grew up listening to their stories of their adventures that they had and and helping people on 
long runs and challenges and if we'd go and stop at their house at night time when we were going to bed, me and my two sisters wouldn't ever ask for a story to be read to us, we'd ask for them to tell us a story. And it might be the time that my granddad was helping Chris Bland when he was running all the, he was doing a book a day of Wainwright books for over seven days. And my nana went up to Escorts with a bag of jelly babies. And that was pre-mobile phone, pre-trackers, pre-anything like that. And she just had a rough inkling when she might go up and see them come through. I'd lie in bed listening to these stories and I'd always think to myself one day I, I would like to have stories that I'd be able to tell which might match that of my nan and granddad's. And I, I don't think my stories will ever be as good as them. You know, you'll never be as good as your heroes in your head, I think. But I have now got stories. Both of them were involved in supporting the Bob Graham attempts, which are quite a phenomenal event. Yeah, so the Bob Graham's a 66 mile route. It's 42 summits, which a chap called Bob Graham decided that he would go and run to celebrate his 42nd birthday. And it's divided up into five legs. So it goes from Keswick to Threlkeld, Threlkeld to Dunmail, Dunmail to Wasdall, Wasdall to Honister, Honister back to Keswick. And you start and finish at the Moot Hall, and you do all of the highest mountains around here, basically. And you've got to do it in under 24 hours to be part of the club. Because it's split up into five legs, when you are having a go of the Bob Graham yourself, you would usually have a couple of people out supporting you on each leg. They'll be carrying your food, your water, helping navigate when the weather's bad, chiving you along, giving you a bit of a kick up the ass if you're slowing down, hold you back if you're going too fast. Usually you pick your best mates to go and help you because they're the people you want to be spending this time with out on the fells and to help someone on a Bob Graham is quite an impressive feat. Each leg on its own are very hard runs and to be asked to go and help someone on the Bob Graham is quite a proud moment really because it usually means that someone cares that much about you that they want to share that day with you. So my nan and granddad would tell me stories of them running and helping people on their Bob Grahams and that's kind of what planted the seed in my mind that one day I'll do it based off them, their stories and Back in the day, people used to write you a little letter to say thank you for helping and then maybe write a handwritten report of the Bob Graham. So certainly when I did mine, that's one thing I wanted to do because my granddad's kept all of his ones and his upstairs in a little chest which you can read through them and, and read all the stories of that day. Your grandma and granddad, they managed the Borough Youth Hostel? Yeah, yeah, and that's where my mum and her two sisters grew up. That's why Borrowdale, probably for us, is our sort of family spiritual home really and my nana's buried in the church up at Stonethwaite because that was, that's home for them. Most of their best friends are all hostlers and they, you know, they still would be going away on holiday with them every year. And the connections they've made and the friendships have lasted their entire lifetime. OK, well, we'll make a bit more headway. This is a lovely setting. Uh, it's inspirational in every sense, and especially talking to you, Jacob. That was a wonderful narrative. We've just come across Roughton Gill with its uh, older tree, a slabby crossing over this wonderful beck that runs between Bleasfell and Mungristle Common. Looking south, I'm looking right the way towards Bleabury Fell and High Seat, Shulthwaite Valley and Ben and uh, the top of Raven Crag. So that's a striking view through the jaws of the valley. And of course, Lonscale Pike, as it's very often called on Blonscale Fell, dominates us looking west. So it's a grand setting, a wonderful feeling of being in the wilds of a lakeland that not everybody comes to, but people who discover it love it to bits. Chloe. Now, uh, you were brought up in the Eden Valley. Yeah, I often say to people that I was born in the Lake District, but I guess that's uh, a little bit of a knockoff, really. It was the Eden Valley. I kind of grew up around the Moorlands, Great Strickland area, Appleby, and on two farms. So my parents had divorced when I was six months old and essentially both lived on farms for the majority of my upbringing. And my dad used to take me out into the fells. Often we'd go wild camping, running down scree slopes. I thought he was the most amazing person because he would just take me on these wild adventures. It was quite funny, really, because my mum would always dress me up in Laura Ashley dresses and make me look all kind of twee and girly. I'd go to my dad's for the weekend and we'd go out on these big adventures, out in the fells, wild camping, drinking from the streams, you know, just kind of living the wildlife. And I'd come back in one of dad's oversized shirts with leaves in my hair, just completely a mess. And my mum would just shake her head at me saying, 
<laughs> it was kind of like I had this upbringing of two halves, really. Yeah. But I would cheese. say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the half that really was soul fulfilling was with my dad. Yeah. And then, of course, you moved away. I think when you grow up on a farm in a kind of small, close-knit community in a really rural place, potentially there's something in you that thinks that the adventure is going somewhere really urban and the lights of the big city was just such a draw for me. And I just felt like I did love the lakes, but I was excited to know what else was out there. And so I went down to Brighton in my early 20s with this idea of having this big adventure. But actually what happened in Brighton is... Quite quickly, I sold all my climbing gear online. I stopped doing the things that I was doing lots of. Climbing was quite a big part of my late teens and early 20s. And so, yeah, it was a real heartbreak, really, because I thought I was having a big adventure down south, but actually I was just losing myself really slowly. And I ended up being down there for like nine years, even though every year I said, oh, next year I'll be back, next year I'll move back. It won't be long now. And I never really allowed myself to settle because I always thought, ah, at some point I'll be back in Cumbria. <laughs> and then it all changed on your 30th birthday. Your life sort of collapsed and then fell apart. While I was living down south, I'd kind of built myself up. I'd become a teacher. I'd gone from the outdoor curriculum quite quickly to the indoor curriculum. And I was just narrowing my connection with the outdoors the more I was down there. And I think... Looking back, it's very obvious that sometimes when you're on the wrong path, life does something to just move you onto the right path. And that is exactly how I feel that my experience was. I suddenly came down with quite a normal stomach bug. You get them all the time. I was working in a special needs primary school. Um, but this one felt different. It felt kind of inset. Over three days, I got progressively weaker. And then my legs started to do something that I couldn't really explain. My partner at the time thought I was making it up a bit. Of course you feel weak, you've been ill for a few days, but I knew myself that I was not walking right and I was adamant that I needed to see a doctor. Eventually, once I convinced them, uh, I was rushed up to the doctors, seen by a doctor there who was quite excited about what this was. Oh because she had her own theories about whether this was Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a syndrome that slowly creates a paralysis of the whole body and then restores, but over months, maybe years. And I had this really weird, like, am I even in the room kind of moment of feeling like everyone seems excited. I'm not excited. I'm petrified now. And now she's rushing me to A&E. So what is actually going on here? And that's how it all just kind of blew up in my face. I went from working full-time as a teacher to being in the hospital on the A&E ward in a bed thinking, why are my legs not working? At that point, you thought, I might never walk again. I had 11 days in total in that hospital bed and I was deteriorating quite quickly every day, getting worse. I was tested for everything. I had the MRI, the full body scans. I had the lumbar puncture, which goes into your spine and takes out spinal fluid. They really could not work out what this was, but my legs were slowly getting worse. So I'd gone from being able to take a few steps to being able to take no steps within about three or four days. It was pretty terrifying anyone that's a terrifying experience but when you're active and you know deep down that you've lost yourself and you grew up in the lake district out on the fells the idea of being in in this wheelchair full-time is quite scary and actually it's kind of given me a new view because I didn't realize how dehumanizing it is to be in a wheelchair that suddenly you're being pushed by someone down a corridor and people aren't talking to you anymore. They talk to the person pushing as if I'm not compass mentis just because I can't walk. Yeah, it was quite an all-round disturbing experience, quite a trauma, really. Well, something changed because you're out walking with (laughs) us today. Uh, We'll probably pick that up a bit further along, but uh, we're across the upper course of the Glendra Terra as we now march up to join the Cumbria Way. What a story, Chloe. Well, we've made our way up the bank and we've come past a complex sheepfold and there's one or two ruins here, or just the bare foundations of dwellings, shielings. Uh, there's some further along, just out of sight from here, I know. 
And we're on the Cumbria Way at this point. Uh, I'm looking up to Lonscale Pike. And up behind me to the west, I've got Burnt Horse, which uh, to those people who are squeamish about our cavalry, it's nothing to do with horses. It means the steep pass. And you just see the notch in the hill where the pass will once have been. Got some heather on it higher up, and it's covered in dead bracken at the moment. Anyway, I'm back with Jacob, and we've got our thoughts of your time in the concrete jungle where things weren't as you would have wished them to be. So I want to get you to the point where you're back running. Yeah, so I, I came back yam, back home. It all didn't end very well for me at university. I came back, I was quite a bad wave, state of depression and everything, and I came back and I just wanted to get outside. So I actually started cycling, and I cycled Land's End to John O'Groats with my mate, uh, because my granddad had done that. Came home and I had sort of fallen out of love with cycling and, it, you know, it's a bit of a faff compared to running where you just put your shoes on and off you go out the door. I set off running and I thought, oh, this is pretty good, actually. I don't have to worry about having all fancy kit or out like that. I can just off you go. And so I have all these roots in my head which I only know of because in my mind I was dragged around as a kid. But then you go and do it as, a, as an adult and actually appreciating what you've got and you think, ah, oh, this is actually really cool. And... That's snowballed into taking it quite seriously, going on doing bigger, better things and ultimately just loving being outside. Now, you spoke about your grandparents engaging in supporting people on their own Bob Graham attempts. Now, you've actually got into the groove yourself. Yeah, I've helped on quite a lot now. I'm on 60-odd, I think, of helping. It's an amazing thing to go and do, and I, I love doing it, but I can only ever really get properly engrossed in it if someone's got a proper story as to why they're doing it. And I like to find out why you are. So similar to the book, why are you running? And if it's a really good story, then I will go well out of my way to go and help people. I've been very lucky that I ran with Jack Kensel when he broke the record. And I did the last from Green Gable back to Keswick with him, and we were running along the road about five and a half minute mile pace and oh. I'd already been out for about three hours and I know Jack had been running for a long time but he's one of the best runners ever and I was running along up past the swing side and then down past Lingholm and I looked at my watch to see what pace we were at and I thought oh god we're going really quick here I shut my eyes and I just ran as fast as I could and I thought if I fall over and die I will be more comfortable than I am at this moment in time running <laughs> Even with well-known runners, you have to remind them that this is a very special place. They should look around them. I will. I do that because I've learned the hard way, I feel, of not always appreciating when I was younger. You know, when we are out running really fast, you're not necessarily always taking everything in. And I said to Paul Tierney when we got on top of Causey Pike, when he was breaking Steve Birkinshaw's Wainwright's record... Just have a look around, Paul, because every fell you can see now, you have been to the top of in the last six days. And I said the same to Jack Kensel when we got to the top of Robinson. To so many of us, this is the most special place in the world. You're looking around at the fells and you see all the heritage and you, you can hear the stories coming out of the fells often. That is why I try my best to remind people that no matter how hard it might be, you know, how much you might ache, ache yeah, but, you know, and how proud you are of your achievement, still just have a look around and almost be humbled a little bit by the fells and that, that's important to me now the book's called why we run why do you run for me it is part of the heritage of i'm a keswickian i'm a cumbrian and running is something that that we do and i don't want the running community to forget about the heritage that we've got getting outside making the most of what you've got remembering the heritage and trying to pass that on to other people. Most of my best friends in the world have come from running, and we are all part of this small fell running community, but to those involved with it, it's not a small community, it's, it's a big part of our lives. Danielle, that notion of the community, which is very evident throughout the book, how does it reflect in your thoughts? Lots and lots of people that I spoke to spoke about community, and I think myself moving up here and starting to get involved with the running community up here the running clubs and the support that everybody has for each other it doesn't really matter who you are like everyone will speak to everybody and I think that's really quite special so after a fell race you have the sandwiches and drinks in the village hall what's that emotional setting 
again, it's part of that quite low-key aspect. So you'll finish a race, everybody just has a chance to chat to each other. So one minute you might be racing somebody and like really kind of pushing each other and, and then you're sat having a cup of tea, laughing about it, thinking, actually, that was brilliant. Like, you really made me go there. <laughs> like, which is it's just something... It's just really nice, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's amazing light here, uh, particularly looking through St John's Vale to Castle Rock at Triermain, where all the light is flooding at the moment. It's luring us south. We skipped along the wonderful terrace path We've kept up a steady pace and we've come to a little point where you get a view up the heather bank. I describe a route up Burnt Horse in my guide, but blow me, Wainwright has a route going up here. Now, Jacob, is this a route you've ever done? I have done it, yeah, and it is hellish steep. <laughs> me and my mate Matty went on this challenge to try and find the steepest Lakeland climb and this was one that we decided to include. And it's that steep when you get to the top and it... It flattens off. The flat feels like downhill. It's all heather as well, yeah. and a bit of rock. Heather and crags, and sometimes you're trying to get up a crag and all you can hold on to is a bit of heather, and you're thinking, oh, God, is that going to go? <laughs> Good old Tufty. How on earth Wainwright came upon this route? Anyway, let's get on to the, probably the more serious story of being with Chloe, who, uh, if you remember some time ago we were talking, Chloe, about you were immobile in a hospital bed, couldn't walk, you got to a point where you'd started to jump. In the hospital ward, uh, things were just deteriorating. It was about midpoint that week. I said earlier, I was in there 11 days in total. By about day five, I had no feeling in both legs. And so getting into a wheelchair from the bed, being pushed to the toilet and just kind of hobbling, using you know all the things to kind of pull yourself, drag yourself into the toilet to, to go and do what you needed to do, was my only freedom, actually. The nurse would drop me off at the door of the toilet and close the door. I'd lock it. I just remember gripping the basin and looking at myself in the mirror and saying, just jump, just for God's sake. You can do this. You've done this every day since you were a child. All you have to do is just try and jump or balance on one leg even, just whatever it is. It was just my own personal physio. It was probably completely against all advice of all doctors. But to me, it was like, this is my moment of trying to will my legs to come back to feeling, to movement, to being able to do things. And so I'd be gripping the basin, trying to jump. Did you succeed? <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, no. no, there was one point where I had to pull the cord and get the nurse to get me out of there and, and not tell her that I was trying to jump in oh. the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be because the trauma of it is just beyond me. Let's fast forward slowly because you did start recovering over what sort of period? I self-discharged after 11 days um, against all advice, all medical advice. I couldn't handle being in the emergency ward anymore. I was being woken up all night, all day, prodded. I felt like a pincushion for all these tests that they were doing. And I just thought, I'm not going to get well here. This is not a place where I'm going to heal. I need to be home. So I took a wheelchair and was carried into a car and made it into my downstairs flat. And that's where I began a recovery process. I was an outpatient, but I was also heavily drugged up on all sorts of things that they were testing me on. The main medication that they used was amitriptyline, and they put me on an absolutely huge dose of that. Every time I said it's not working, they would just increase the dose. I think I was just a cabbage, just a shell of myself for about two years. Leaping forward, you moved to the Orchard Dales and you could start to think about something that really mattered to you. What was it? Yeah, absolutely. So I moved up with my partner at the time and um, actually we promptly went through a separation and, <laughs> and it was lockdown and we didn't want to spend time together indoors. I wanted to be outside in all weathers all year round. And so I bought a pair of running shoes online and thought, I'm going to just try this thing, not really knowing what it would grow into um, and so the first few runs were just around where we were living which was uh, near Bentham so just the roads around there and then I'd started to push myself I was like I can see some hills out there can I get to them in a day could I run to that one that I can see 
and that's how I got to Fingleborough, which was about eight miles away. And I remember standing on top of it thinking, oh Christ, I've got to get back. <laughs> and there's no taxis, I can't call anyone for a lift, and I don't want to embarrass myself by calling Mountain Rescue, so I better get out of <laughs> Yeah, no, I was completely unprepared, really. Um, I only had road running shoes at the time, but my heart was always in the fells and the hills. And so I wasn't quite living in the right place back then, but it got me going for what is now, I realise, fell running, which is my passion. It wasn't ever road running. That was just an excuse to get out of the house and clear my mind and just get through what, what was quite a, a difficult split up. Well, the title of the book, we asked Jacob that question. So, Chloe, why do you run? These fells and this place goes down my family tree over 500 years. And I just feel that connection. I feel like this place is in my bones. This is where I need to be, on the hills, out in nature, close to it all. And that's why I run. I run to get away from the everyday and to get into a wild place and to just appreciate the beauty of nature, which is something that we are actually part of, but we have somehow become disconnected from. There's a passage in your uh, chapter about the loss of control while you're running. I spoke about that because uh, something that I just absolutely love, and I realised first on Wernside over in the North Yorkshire Dales, what I realised is when you run downhill, there is an edge that you're playing with, which is the control out of control edge. And it's always lured me right in is, is the downhill running part of it. I hate running uphill. I don't think I'll ever stop hating it. I'm a climber. I love to climb up. I'd scramble up anything. But the running down is what really gets me going. And I think that when you're running to like the absolute limit, of your speed and making those like micro movements with your feet and placing them just right and you're cascading down the fell there is a slight out of controlness but you're just on the edge of it so you're you're kind of staying within your own safety net I guess and and taking a bit of a chance it really fills me with adrenaline and I love talking about it and I love doing it <laughs> and I, I don't know why we're not running down here <laughs> have you ever twisted your ankle doing it no, never. Actually, I've had more injuries hiking than I have running. Uh, I think when you go at a certain pace, your feet aren't really touching the ground independently. It's like one's hit the ground, might have gone over slightly, but the other one's already kind of caught up with you. And so you're just in this rhythm and this flow that kind of keeps you quite safe. It certainly is a grounding experience for me because I think it takes your mind out of anything that's going on in your life. You are so in that moment because if you're not in that moment, that's it you are over <laughs> so you've got to stick with it one of the chapters in the book is about healing and there's one character mark brightwell where does he fit in it became quite apparent in quite a few of the people I spoke to how important or useful running was as a tool for healing mark he is a really fascinating guy who um, was in the army and had a near-death experience is part of his service. He talked about having quite an unhealthy relationship with running to start with and how he would almost use it as a way of pushing that adrenaline button again and that link back to PTSD. But now for him, running is a form of joy and he talked about that process and the journey and how running has changed for him and been part of his healing. And then, of course, there's Katie Milburn. Katie Milburn, her partner died through a sudden cardiac arrest in a, a fell race. And as part of the grief, she found a list of his fell races and she decided to run them for him. And in doing that, she turned up to a race and very quickly became involved with the community and the running and the races and before she knew it was fell running and feeling the love of it herself but it also was a big part of her journey in coping with loss and overwhelming grief. It's a lovely little stroll as we cut back towards Whitbeck with the larch trees and the sun is streaming through them and bringing out their very pale lemon tones. Absolutely fabulous. A moment to pause. I'd like to ask you, Daniel, you spoke to 28 people 
and they started opening up. There was some kind of chemistry. Could you give me some description of what that chemistry was? I think being in a location that meant something to that person, meant something to their running, their reason, their why, was really important. And also being out together in the environment, running together. I think you both got a shared love for the sport and a shared understanding of that hardship. Chloe, would you say there's something about this community that has this openness? I think it's very different to an experience of like walking in the lakes. You know, I, I grew up walking in the lakes with family and friends and your mind could wander off and you could chat chat about different things. But when you're running and you're going over quite difficult ground or you're, you know, it's rocky or it's muddy or whatever it is, you are often alone and you're in a wild place. You're focused on the next metre in front of your feet. You are so in what I would call the zone and you're in your own flow, especially when you're running downhill or just on a really long run, I think that you go into a kind of state of meditation. I personally find it extremely therapeutic, and I think it just takes my head out of the everyday and just gives me a a bit of clarity and a little bit of realising how small we are. I think maybe it's an experience that as runners we all have at some stage in our running, and I think maybe that's why we then open up when we do meet a runner. Me and Danny were out and they were therapy sessions. They weren't just runs. (laughs) We were talking about all sorts. So, yeah, I would say that it is a bit of a therapy. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a really hard thing to do, fell running. And I think a lot of it when you're out with people is the mutual respect that you are both capable of doing this feat. And a lot of my best conversations with people have happened at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark going across the dodds on someone's Bob Graham and you are both on that par at the same level and it just brings out the openness and you know I try and be a very open person with the issues I've had in my life thinking it might help someone else bring their you know worries out and talk about it and I think you can only do that by achieving that level of respect with someone. And just going to that vulnerable place, I think it is a vulnerable place that we go to when you're digging deep and it's hard and you're not sure if you can make it and you've got someone there with you that's kind of egging you on. And I think that vulnerability allows you to become a little bit more open with how you're feeling and and where you're at. It it definitely brings out a different side of people when you are doing something that you don't know if you can actually achieve that or not, especially on the Bob Graham when you are out with people in these silly hours of the day and all weathers like you have to trust that person with your life and it's either trust them with navigation or trust them that if one of you has a problem then the other person can help you out yeah when you've got that and you've got that foundation for that relationship it does make you want to talk there's not worse than running across in the dark in complete silence I think so I'm just constantly chuntering onto people I can't imagine you talking Jacob (laughs) you're such a shy retiring character exactly yeah (laughs) yeah I totally agree I think it's that shared aspect that shared hardship shared joy of the environment shared of what you're doing and being outside is really important well we'll wander on towards the top of Gale Road and we'll have some final reflections Yeah, we're coming up towards Gale Road. We've got this wonderful view. Little Mel Fell is lit up, but Great Mel Fell is not. There you are, that's a distinguishing thing. Now, let's have some final reflections to sort of wrap up this podcast. Danielle, what is the state of the activity, the running world that you're in? I think it's in really good health, really good shape. It's a really positive environment and community to be a part of. There's lots and lots of races and lots of fell races and loads more ultras, and I think it's great. <laughs> like this year, every weekend, there's been an event on of some sort, somewhere in the lakes. Yeah. <laughs> Chloe, what do you think of the world of well, running? I think I've always questioned, what is a fell runner? Am I really worthy of that kind of a title? But what I think that we should all just remember is you don't have to be an ultra runner. You don't have to be doing these enormous challenges. It's just about enjoying being outdoors, enjoying the fells, but at a little bit more of a speed (laughs) than than your average hike. And I think, you know, anyone could be a fell runner. And it's a lot gentler on your your knees, on your joints um, than road running. And I'd encourage anyone to to give it a go if they've if they've uh, been thinking about it. Oh, well, do you mean I could have a go? Absolutely, <laughs> just a little joglet. A, a joglet. <laughs> ah, right, right. <laughs> Talking of joglets, each one of you, you must have an absolute favourite joglet. <laughs> Jacob's going to tell us his favourite. 
it's a rule of mine that I will never disclose my favourite running route. If I ever see someone on that route at the same time as me, I'm like, oh no. Um, but I'll tell you my second favourite. Oh, good. So second favourite would be to go up Holesfell under Blencathra, come down to the tarn, up Sharp Edge, and then come directly down off Bleasfell, back down to Thrillcold. A lot of climbing, scrambling, everything. You can have a dip halfway through, and there's two pubs and a good cafe in Thrillcold. Well, that's so. all that matters. <laughs> Chloe, have you got a favourite? Maybe to just be a little bit controversial, my favourite is a trail run. <laughs> I, know, I know you've talked about the definitions. It's a quick one, and it's one that gives you everything, and it's uh, Galbarra. There's a wonderful roundup there, but I would start at Aeroforce, unlike Danny. I'd go straight up from Aeroforce car park, past all the tourists, through those beautiful botanic gardens, and then you just get right up onto the top, and the views of Blencathra and this range from over that side, on a winter's day, on a crisp... Oh, the colours can just be fantastic and then you come all the way around and it's the most lovely gentle down and obviously then get that beautiful view of Ullswater and Hallin and up to Helvellyn so um, I think that one's got it all for me and if I've only got an hour or so it's a good little round Have you got a joglet then uh, Daniel? So interesting, like Galbarra would have been one of my absolute faves as well. <laughs> it's an absolute stunner, but I would always park at the top because I like going straight up the hill <laughs> and then leaping around. But another really beautiful short one that packs in a lot is the two rigs. There's loads of different lumps and bumps and bits and interesting bits for you to think about, but you've got fells all around you. <laughs> you mean low and high rig? Yes. I yeah. <laughs> my house, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's got quite a fun technical descent down um, down the back. You have to really think on that bit, which is quite From fun. From that Ren Crag area down that end? Yes, the, yeah. The end. All those pines that are blown over. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can loop back along down through the river, and it's just a really nice way to finish. Quite. <laughs> just to close, magic moments. You'll have had those moments, all three of you, when everything came together in a wonderful way that you'll never forget. Daniel, have you got that one moment? I think for me, it's probably the first fell race that I ever did. I was thinking about going and doing a fell race and then a friend said oh we're all going to one tonight if you want to come along and I was like oh okay yeah sure you can't really say no when an offer's right there before I knew it I was parked at the bottom of Steel Fell quickly signing a paper giving a pound and then like running off up Steel Fell and I just thought this is so hard this is ridiculous what am I doing here and then got to the top checked the checkpoint turned around and then just the expanse of the view opens out in front of you and I thought oh I get it now <laughs> it was a dead pike, but it was dead good. It was amazing. It was incredible. I spent most of it on my bum because uh, I didn't know what I was doing trying to get down the slope. I saw everyone whizzing past me and I thought, I need to learn how to run on these fells. And it was a start. I felt very inspired at that moment. <laughs> oh, Chloe, have you got one of those unbelievable moments? Oh my God, I do. Um, yeah, me and a very good running friend of mine uh, went up to Stihead Tarn. It was a scramble route that we chose to get up, but once we got to the top, the sun started to rise and it was just catching off the tops. And as we descended back down to Stockley Bridge, I don't think I'd ever felt that kind of flow until that point in my running. And I just noticed above us were two paragliders just coming in the same route. And we were all going that last mile with two paragliders above us. I felt like I was floating. It was okay then, Jacob, your magic moment. Well, it's a bit cliche, but it would be finishing me Bob Graham. So I went anti-clockwise and I ran down Skidder and I had about 30-odd people with me, my dog Hector... The emotions were just accumulation of everything, of life's goal. Of probably my main goal in life was to do the Bob Graham, and I managed to do that. Of having to stop running through illness and coming back to it and dropping down to the Moot Hall, and my nan and granddad were there to see me finish, and both of them were still alive at the time. And I've got a video of me getting a hug off them, which I will cherish for the rest of my life. People said to me, oh, will you do it again? And I, I probably will, but it won't ever be as special as that so I don't think I'll ever top that and if I never ran again I could honestly retire from running happy having had that moment Journey's end, uh, well, nearly journey's end. <laughs> Quite. <laughs>
because we've still got a little bit of uphill, but we've stopped here because it's so lovely. Uh, where are we, Mark? This is this lovely Lonning. Yeah, between Glendraterra and Derwent Falls, before we climb up to the Blencathra Centre. This is one of my favourite little walled lanes in the whole Lake District, this. Mm. I love it here. I love that whole descent down this. You've got that little tiny water channel on your right, haven't you? Yeah. And then you get down to the river itself for that crossing, which is also lovely. I love this. Yeah, it's a dreamlike place. If you wanted just to see one Lonning, you won't see many people here, and yet it's right in the thick of everything, but just forgotten. Marvellous. Far from the madding crowd. Anyway, uh, reflections on today's podcast, Mark. We have been abandoned by our guests who got bored with our very slow pace and they've run off. <laughs> they did, didn't they? Uh, they kept up a steady pace. Anyway, they've gone and they're happy and we uh, wrapped up a very good episode. I really enjoyed it. Like often when you've talked to somebody who's got a great passion for something, you feel sort of you want to be a part of it somewhere along the line. Right, so that's you promising to take up fell running. I do think they're so articulate about their sport, if you want to call it that, or almost a lifestyle, I think. And I was struck by this editing the book. There's so many deeply personal stories in there. We cover addiction, as Daniel said. There's uh, one of the runners who was involved in a near-fatal bombing in Iraq when he was serving out there. There's that story, Katie Milburn, that, again, Danielle picked up on, who'd lost her partner and found this list, you know, really evocative stories. There's um, a, a girl called Lizzie featured in the book. She was an NHS nurse working on the COVID ward through all that horrible period, if you remember. And she went through all of that, pretty much had a breakdown and recovered through running. Actually gave herself the task of running the Bob Graham, which we, we spoke about uh, at length today. Uh, but I think most of all, yeah, what a lovely group of people to be out with. And it's nice to go out with a group, actually, isn't it? Oh, yeah, very much. You, you can tell they're part of a community. Yeah. There's only three of them there, but they represented lots and lots of people who, within their running world, clearly get a lot of camaraderie and strength and determination from, which reflects across into their own lives. Well, we'll wrap up on today's with our normal housekeeping mark. This is episode... 113, maybe? I don't know. Maybe we don't quite know, do we? But for all previous episodes, www.countrystride.co.uk, this podcast only continues because of the generous support of our patrons. So if you can spare as little as £2 a month, please do so to keep us fed and watered here at Country Stride. You can find out how to do that again at www.countrystride.co.uk. As ever, we are hugely grateful to patrons old and new thank you so much but you can also buy one of our series of guidebooks uh, we've got a number of guidebooks with wonderful walks in the lake district including the one we're on today which is <laughs> an absolute highlight from the whole range to be honest but you can find them again www.countrystride.co.uk next up don't know quite what we're doing but there's some absolute gems lined up oh, absolutely so. i'm really looking for the last six weeks of the year are going to be full of really interesting podcasts back in october was a bit of a pause but we're back in the groove now i think we wrap it up don't we today mark on yep. this very still now down in the valley bottom evening we'll say goodbye from Trelkeld and see you on next fortnight's country stride <laughs>